Uh, let me give you a little bit about who Dr. Moreland is. Um, he has uh, more degrees than I have, like, childhood sports trophies. Uh, he got his bachelor's, I believe, in chemistry from the University of Missouri, MIZ. That's right. Um, then he, he went on and he got a master's of divinity and a master's of theology, and then he got a PhD in uh, philosophy, ex- excuse me, master's in philosophy, then a PhD in philosophy. And he is, uh, according to uh, most knowledgeable sources, he is uh, one of the greatest living philosophers alive. And he's here with us uh, to share, but more importantly than all of that, uh, as I've just gotten to know him a little bit, he loves, he loves the Lord, he loves the church, uh, he longs to use his gifts both intellectually and in a speaking sense to uh, make the gospel known, to encourage the church, to equip the church uh, on how to share the truth of the gospel. And so we are very, very honored to have him here with us this morning. So uh, give a welcome to Dr. J.P. Moreland. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Tim, and it's been such a treat for me to be here. Uh, I have lived in Southern California, Orange County, Yorba Linda, uh, for 35 years. I uh, went out there to take my PhD in philosophy at USC, and then I was privileged to get a uh, a position in philosophy at Biola University, and I've been there uh, ever since. But I was born and raised in Grandview. And um, I have never liked liberty. Um, uh, Every time I came here, it was for enemy reasons, because I was on the junior high and high school football and basketball teams. So I'm a little uncomfortable, to be honest with you. But uh, I I just love this city. It's it's one of the finest cities in the United States, uh, and I've seen a lot of them. And go Chiefs. Uh, my gosh, and go and go Royals, but we got to we got a little while to wait on that. Oh, by the way, my grandchildren all wear Chief stuff. Uh, I've got a son-in-law who's a Raiders fan. <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, uh, this last May, I got uh, an email from someone I whom I did not know, uh, just out of the blue, and the and the. The email line said help, and so I opened it, and uh, this gentleman said, Professor Morley, you don't know me, but I and two friends live here in Orange County, and we've been working for a good bit of time with a a group of atheists, but more importantly, with a group of about 20 uh, believers between 25 and 30, late 30s years old, who are on a razor's edge of abandoning belief in God. Uh, and leaving not only the church, but Christianity. And uh, the reason is that uh, when they ask questions, they're shunned, or if somebody does give them an answer, it's not helpful. And they've come to the conclusion that Christianity is an anti-intellectual religion that is based almost entirely on uh, worship, which is wonderful, uh, and, and I'd like to keep worshiping this morning. I feel like Jello right now. Um, uh, worship and emotion, and just kind of personal testimony. Uh, and while, I, by the way, I think all of those are good things, but but I'm I'm telling you what he said, and uh, that it is uh, not capable of of withstanding 
thoughtful scrutiny. And they don't want to believe something that just works but isn't true. And so would you come and speak to them and let them just ask you questions? And I said, of course I will. And so we set up a situation where I went to a gentleman's home. And there were 25, 26, 27 of these folks that sat in a big circle. And for two and a half hours, we just had a Q&A time. And uh, it was overwhelmingly uh, positive. And I, there were person after person said that uh, this has saved my faith. A number of atheists said, I've never heard anything like this. I did not know that there were answers to the questions I had. I, I, I want to be serious looking into this thing more. Now, uh, this experience uh, is not unique to me. Um, you've heard of the Barna Research Group. They're one of the most respected pollsters in the United States. And uh, about a year ago, I think it was, they did a poll, a very, very extensive poll, on why millennials are leaving the church and Christianity in record numbers. Because we're losing uh, from our finest evangelical youth groups. When they leave our churches to go to college or into the workforce, they're giving up on Christianity in record numbers. And they, they, they wanted to find out why. And so they did a study. And they discovered that there were six reasons that rose to the top, and they were all shocking. David Kinnaman, the president, uh, reported this and said that the, all the researchers were shocked about what they found out. What they didn't discover was that it wasn't because there weren't good small groups. It wasn't because worship wasn't well done and meaningful. I believe Christian music now is as good as secular music or better. We have, we have The progress we've made in the last 20 years is stunning. You come to any... This was excellent worship. And you come to any church, and I've spoken in probably 500 churches, uh, it's just the worship's off the charts. But it wasn't worship. It wasn't that the, that the messages did not um, communicate what Christians believe. The reasons were the, the following and not in order. Um, number one, the church does not expose its parishioners to important secular ideas in the culture and help them learn how to answer those ideas. So it shelters people. We teach the word, we apply it to our personal lives and our families, but we're not having Sunday school classes or, or sermons or uh, book reviews or handouts that turn our eyes away from ourselves and deal with how to respond to homosexuality. How to respond, how should we vote politically? Uh, does the Bible have a view of the state? And if so, what is that view? And I should vote in light of the biblical teaching on the role of the state. Is there such a thing? Yes, and I've published an article on it online. But the, that's, the point is, um, wh why is abortion wrong? Um, uh, how do we really know that, that this God thing exists? And what do you do with, with these? We need to be, we're not doing that. Second, the teaching of the church turns out to be shallow. That's what they discovered in the report. The church is antagonistic to science. It does not help believers understand how to relate Christian truth claims from the Bible 
to scientific truth claims? How do we tie those together? Um, the teachings on, on sexuality are, are very simplistic. They don't deal with the complexity of the issue, and they, they're very judgmental, whatever that means. Um, the people wrestle with the exclusivity claims of Christianity being the only way. That's a problem for uh, this age group. And then finally, the church is unfriendly to doubters. I've already mentioned that. But if you have doubts or, or questions, it, it, it doesn't go well for you. Eventually, you're considered a troublemaker or you're over-intellectualizing and you need to live in your heart, not your head, uh, and, and that sort of thing. And so um, what is interesting about this, I, would have, I didn't know this was true, but all of these are, are issues about the mind. And uh, as my friend Alice Willard, who passed away, and uh, my dissertation mentor and probably a father figure told me uh, one day, JP, wouldn't you think that Jesus would want his followers to lead thoughtful lives? And he didn't mean courteous. He meant thought out, informed, intelligent lives. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be scholars. There are a few of us that do. But I am saying that we're not generating very many of them. Because when you look at, the, at CNN and PMSNBC and uh, uh, Fox and all the rest of them, do you see, thank you, I, I see that hand. Do you see, do you see articulate Christian spokespersons representing a solid biblical view on a subject? Who know the issues? No. Who do we put up there? Highly popular pastors of large churches which shows the value of our, our subculture. We value powerful preaching, not thinking. And that's why we're not generating thinkers, because we don't care about it. We send our kids to college to get a job, instead of to learn how to think as a Christian in their major so that they can occupy territory in their job or whatever they do for the kingdom and think Christianly and worldviewishly in their work. Now, this isn't hard. You, this, you may say, well, you know, he's from the ivory tower. Uh, you know, he's got this high flutin' idea. This is easy to do. It just, it just needs to be a value. That's all. And you may think, well, I'm not very smart. I didn't do well in school, and, uh, you know, I'm a blue-collar worker, and I don't like to think a lot. I'm from a blue-collar family, uh, and I will tell you that I don't care who you are, you can think. And the church is the place where you should learn to rethink, to think again, and to learn to love reading again, and to learn to love listening to books on tape. The church is a, is a war college and an educational institution that trains us for warfare in the world of ideas. In addition to being a hospital, uh, for us broken folk, uh, who, like me, who, who are deeply fragmented and need help every day, uh, it's all the above, isn't it? It's all the above. So, that, so now, um, why is this important? Uh, why is what I'm telling you uh, at, important at this critical hour in our, in our country's history? There, there are three worldviews that are currently in competition for the hearts and souls of the American people. And a worldview is basically just what you believe about life's most important issues. That's just what a worldview is. One of the three worldviews is Christianity. Okay, we'll 
put that away. The most important and most powerful worldview is called scientific naturalism. This is the idea that science, the hard sciences, are the only way we can know things. Chemistry, physics, and so on is, is the only source of knowledge of reality. If, it isn't, if you can't prove it scientifically, then you can believe it if you want to, but there's no reason to believe it, and you sure can't know you're right. And that religious and ethical claims are nothing but expressions of blind faith and private emotion and feeling and need. That's all it is. So it can be safely disregarded because nobody knows whether what these Christians are saying is true, including them. They don't claim to know it's true. They claim to believe it's true. Well, that's not very good, so we can disregard them, and rightly so. I would never regard a movement seriously if their assertions were based upon things they felt and believed. If they claim to have evidence and knowledge backing them, I'd have to take them seriously. The third worldview is postmodern relativism. This flourishes in the arts, the liter literature departments, the communication departments, and uh, the entertainment industry. This is basically the idea that um, all truth is relative to your group or to your, your community. And what is real and true for one uh, sub-community is real and true for them. And what's real and true for another sub-community is real and true for them. And nobody's wrong. Everybody's right because everything's relative to them. So God really exists for Christians. And God doesn't exist for atheists. And they both have their own truth. You have your truth, I have my truth, uh, you know, whoop-de-doo. Okay, now what is at stake here? In this competition of ideas, because the universities are dominated by scientific naturalism and by postmodern relativism, they're dominated by it, as is the entertainment industry and the government. What's at stake here is not the truth of Christianity. Truth is not at stake. What is at stake is knowledge. Because scientific naturalism and postmodernism agree that you can't know anything outside physics and chemistry and neuroscience and, and those fields. That means that the whole realm of religious and theological assertions, moral assertions, political assertions are areas of knowledge where no one can know whether they're right or wrong. And so what faces us now? is not only are, do we make assertions that God, it's true that God exists and Jesus rose from the dead and, and there is life after death, but can we actually know that these things are true? Or is there evidence that supports the things we believe that we could present to people? Now you might think, well, why does that matter? I share my testimony with people and it might change life. And if that's the best you can do, do it. But when you've been a Christian 20 years, you ought to be able to do a little bit more than that. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Not to make you feel guilty. We don't need guilt. Uh, that's been taken care of. So uh, I'm, not, I'm just making an observation. Why does this matter? This will be, uh, 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 be one of the last things I'll say, and then we'll have a Q&A. It is, on, listen, it's not on the basis of truth. It's on the basis of knowledge 
that people have the authority to speak and act in public and the confidence to do so. We give dentists the authority to lecture on molars or dental implants in public. They can give a public lecture on that at any university or wherever. And they have the right to act in certain ways by putting their hands in our mouths and all the rest of it. And they can do this in public because we assume that they possess a body of knowledge that gives them the authority to do these things. Plus, if a dentist has boldness, courage, has courage to get in there and start drilling and figure out what's going on. Why does he have that knowledge? Because he, uh, he, he has knowledge. Now, what if my dentist came up to me and said, you know, I'm going to work on you now, but i got to be honest, I don't know a thing about molars. But, uh, don't be, be worried, I have a bunch of very, very deeply held beliefs about molars, and I really think and hope they're true. Um, I don't know they're true, but I really feel deeply about them. And um, I feel so passionate about these that I've had a musician develop a CD that I play in my car that's got kind of exciting, oh, expressive music about dentistry and so forth. And I listen to this, and it just opens my heart. That dude didn't get in 100 miles from my mouth. I'm telling you. He could set up shop in Liberty if he wants to. But, all right. Oh, you're a bad audience. What a rough crowd. All right. So now, if you look real quickly at 2 Corinthians 10, and then I promise I'll shut up. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, is the second most important text in the New Testament on dealing with demons. Ephesians 6 being the most important. And I want to show you something that maybe you've never seen before. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Are you ready? For although we live in the flesh, that just means we walk around with bodies, um, we don't wage war according to the flesh. So uh, the church isn't going to start a militia and start train, having target practice out here on the property and, and start an army. You can fight for the country, but not for the church. Um, uh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare aren't that way. They're not of the flesh. They're powerful through God for the demolition of a stronghold. What's a stronghold? He tells us, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against, note, not the power of God, but the knowledge of God. And part of spiritual warfare is to learn how to destroy and critique theories, ideas, arguments, Things that are floating around in the culture that people believe that keeps them from treating, thinking it possible to actually know God. That means that we have to learn how to traffic in the world of ideas as part of spiritual warfare. Not the whole thing, but part of it. And that's because knowledge is so important. Notice that he makes the claim that the ideas in a culture will target our ability to know God. And so the idea that you can only know something if you can see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, or hear it, needs to be taken out. We need to learn how to answer that problem. There's a whole range of issues that, are, that we need to know how 
to, to tear down the stronghold. But you don't do that by yelling or getting angry or picketing. Well, we can picket abortion clinics and stuff like that. But you know what I mean. Uh, what we, the, the way you, destroy, you destroy a stronghold is through argumentation and reasoning and evidence, providing evidence. And that evidence doesn't just have to come from the Bible. Because if a person says, well, I don't accept the Bible, you need to try to find extra biblical evidence that supports what the Bible's teaching. I'm pro-life, but I don't turn to Scripture when I am dealing with that subject in the public square. I provide independent arguments for a pro-life position because if I quote Scripture and I'm dealing with a secular audience, it's not going to make any difference to them. And so I have to learn how, and I have, to, to find independent arguments. Now, let's have a Q&A time, but look, we're all gifted differently. And we don't all have to be, you know, the, the, the thinkers of the church. But we do all need to care that this gets done by somebody. Do you get that? We need to elevate this value and care that somebody's doing this. And I think we could all kick our game up a little bit, don't you? Okay, that's all I'm saying. No guilt trip, but just uh, awareness raising. And uh, thank you, and let's have a little time to talk.